yeah, I feel things and I want to express things and I can use words and I can be articulate and say it, but sometimes it's just easier for me to play it and you'll get it and I won't have to say a word. And so for me, that's the really special part about music is that like if I'm producing an artist, I always tell them, listen, the way I'm going to record this and arrange your, your instruments and your track, and the reason I'm coaching you on your vocal a certain ways, because I want people from another part of the world who don't even speak English, don't get the words, to feel what this song is about just through the music. Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know the podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. Sal Oliveri is my guest today. You want to have fun? Just look up SalOliveri.com. Google who Sal Oliveri is. And when you see the names this guy has worked with, you will just be nothing short of stunned. Why do I know that? Because I'm stunned that I'm talking to Sal Oliveri. Sal, how are you? I'm doing great. Wow. Thanks for that amazing introduction. Well, you've earned every second of it. I mean, I was sitting back going through your basically, do they even use the term discography anymore? Remember that? Is that? Yeah, yeah. People still use it. I mean, the people you have worked with, I mean, Billy Joel and Pink and Chris Stapleton. And I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, just it, it's crazy. The folks you be able to the, the country music world, Kenny Chesney and Brett Eldridge and Sheryl Crow and, and and Charles Kelly, my buddy from Lady A. My God, is he is he insanely tall or what? I always tell him he's a pituitary freak. Man. Yeah. And that voice I could listen to all day long. What's it like when you hear that voice? I mean, because that's what you do, and you have to be very discriminating, right? I mean, everybody likes to think they can sing. The truth of it is American Idol has only produced a handful of truly famous singers because it's just a very hard game, isn't it? It is, and that's really a great point. You know, that show, I often reference that show when I'm speaking with young artists, and I say, you know, uh, to your point, like there's really only been, maybe you could fill up one hand, maybe two of people that have survived, but pretty much it's a, it's a reality show and it is what it is and people enjoy watching it, but it gives, it gives a false sense to artists that they're just going to get plucked out of obscurity. And I really try and tell them, listen, this is a hard business and you have to give 110%. And, you know, build up your brand and, you know, whatever, all the things that go into making an artist. But, yeah, there's always, you know, I, you can always tell when someone has something special. Like, look, everybody sings and makes melody and, and so forth. But there's, they call it the if factor or whatever. But when someone is telling you a story through through singing and you you're not even thinking about the singing anymore they just got you it's sort of like you can tell when an actor is acting and when they become the role it's it's that same thing it's just crazy because we talk about stage presence and i've had this conversation before with people and and i think there's i think there's performers and i think there's entertainers Right. And and, That's right. and here's here's my definition of the two. A an entertainer. It's all about your experience. I'm going to do anything I can to entertain you. 
Right. So that's to me, the Garth Brooks of the world. We're going to make this, we're going to make this about your experience. And there's, there's the performers. And when I say this, I don't mean it as a pejorative whatsoever. I'm not criticizing, but when you sit back and think of Chris Stapleton, a Chris Stapleton concert or a Grateful Dead concert or something like that, enter performers. It's about their experience that you're sharing. That's my take on it. What do you think? Well, that's very interesting and perceptive. Yeah, I say that's true based on, you know, shows I've been to. And, you know, I, I'm with you. I wouldn't say one's better than the other. I think people just need to play to their strengths, right? And so uh, I remember going to a concert one time. It was like a classic rock concert. I think it was like I went to see Journey, but the opening band was, oh, man, it was, it was like Poison or some band that I was not a fan of. But the lead singer dude won me over because he was so gracious. And he just kept saying, Nashville, you you know, complimenting Nashville and the people of Nashville. Let's just make this like a big backyard barbecue. And by the end of their set, I was a fan of his. And I thought, wow, man, that guy really made everybody feel welcome and brought the whole audience into what he was doing. I do appreciate that. I mean, I love a great performer as well. I mean, maybe there's a guy that I grew up listening to that I think is a little of each, and that would be Bruce Springsteen, because his shows, he's he's sweating his butt off, giving you 110%. But at the same time, man, he's you can tell the dude's like having a ball on stage. So maybe he... He can, you know, he does both. Yeah, I would, if I had to put him on one of the, I think he would be about the entertainer because he's going to give you a three and a half hour show, you know, yeah, but, right. but and, and it's about that interaction that he's getting with the audience because I've never seen Springsteen, but the same thing with you guys. I've, I've known so many people who've seen him, right? And you've seen him and it's, it's, yeah. and, and my buddy who loves Springsteen goes, dude, when you go to a Springsteen concert, you're part of the show because it's his interaction with you. Yes, that's right. true. Very true. You know, and, but when you go to someone who's t- the, the performer aspect, it's, you're not really involved in their performance. Like I say, and, and I say this because he's just the biggest name that I can throw out right now. But Stapleton, Stapleton is very, he's just going to sing and it's going to make it about, you know, he's going to, he's going to sing you what's going to be. And his talent is so overwhelming that you're like, wow. Okay. As long as I get to be there, I don't care. I don't care if you say a word to me. I just want to hear what you do. (laughs) Right. That's very true. Yeah. You know, I'm a hack psychologist. I mean, you know, being a producer, really, I should have been given a honorary degree for psychology just because you really do have to help people you know, get out of their head and focus and all that stuff. But I tend to think that those those descriptions you gave to, you know, entertainer and performer really goes back to, you know, introvert, extrovert, where they're comfortable. You know, some people are great, you know, with dialogue. Other people feel like, I'm just going to let my music speak. And so, again, I just go back to, yeah, you're totally right. There's two categories. But I think they end up landing there based on, just how they're wired personally. 
That's interesting because, I mean, you know, going old school country music, which is what I've been in. I mean, Alan Jackson, when you meet and talk to Alan Jackson, you sit back and go, how in the world do you ever get enough courage to go on stage? Because he never looks comfortable. Right. But right, he's such right. a fantastic artist that that it's undeniable. So, it, it, you know, and then you see yeah. pe- people like Garth. If Garth couldn't sing a lick, you'd still want to see what he does. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know if I should mention names, but there's a very famous female country artist that's kind of at the top of her game. And on stage, she's bigger than life and she's hosted award shows, but in person is painfully shy. And I've always been impressed, like, how does she turn it on? However, somehow she's figured out how to do it. I think when you talk about stuff like that, I'll, I'll tell you one of my stories, right? Because their ability to compartmentalize is crazy. So when I first came here back in, you know, got in San Jose a long time ago, let's just put it that way. Okay, Sal, yeah. it was a long, yeah. long time ago, <laughs> as in the decades and decades. But right. I don't get nervous around anybody unless my parents thought they were stars. So I had first come to the radio station out here and it was like, Okay, your first gig, I, I went on the air Wednesday. Oh, by the way, Sunday, we need you at the Shoreline Amphitheater to introduce Tammy Wynette. Wow. And right, my she was a star, right? And I'm like, totally. no. back in the day, they were able to drive their bus all the way up to the stage. Now, they've redesigned it since, right? But back in the day, they could write their rank. I'm standing there. I'm maybe 15, 20 feet from the bus. She comes off the bus, and she is having a knockdown drag out with her teenage daughter that she had with George Jones, right? And, I mean, there is there is spit flying. There are cuss words. I mean, it is going left and right. And she's like, and I'm standing there shell-shocked. And she turns around, and she goes, and you get your damn ass out on that bus, and don't you dare come off that bus till I get back here. You know, and the girl turns around and plunks off. And I'm like, what do I do now? And Tammy Wynette, before she turns around, takes a deep breath, turns around, looks at me, and she goes, hi, I'm Tammy Wynette. (laughs) Man, that's a skill right there. My mom had that skill. She would be telling me, I can't believe you, blah, 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 blah. And the phone rang and be like, hello? You know, just sweet as could be. It's amazing. It's amazing what and and really to be an entertainer and you know this well. I mean the stuff that you have to put behind you, you know, because you have to put and you need to draw from it. You know, okay, bad yeah. days can give, you, you draw upon it and you can songwrite and you can emote, but there are times you have to put all of that behind you to do your job, huh? This is true, and I would say that's true in pretty much every walk of life. If you want to be happy and succeed and, you know, not have a bunch, drag a bunch of weights behind you. But, you know, it, there have been times, like, for example, that I've, you know, maybe I've produced somebody and, you know, people sometimes do you wrong and they don't honor their commitment, whatever, may you know, break commitments, et cetera. And, and I just learned, you know what? Don't burn bridges, just, you know, do my best to keep the peace and move on. And so many of those situations, I mean, it's not like I've had dozens of them, but I could say probably at least five times, um, I just extended grace to those people, even though they treated me maybe less than great. And later in life, maybe a year, maybe five years later, they come back around and, 
you know, they knew there was an open door and we make amends and we carry on and make some of the best music, you know, we've ever made together. And so, yeah, that's life, right? Well, no, that's special about you. That's that's not life. That's what makes Sal Oliveri special. Because the truth of it is, you know, when you're talking about bad days, the difference is, is most of us aren't watched by tens of thousands or twenties thousands or millions when we're doing our job and we're having a bad day. And the other thing is to have that grace that where did that come from? That had to come from your upbringing. There had to be something where you were taught that grace was going to get you farther then then because in the world of entertainment you and i both have dealt with people who are very very bitter mm-hmm. and angry right. where did you find that grace well i'm a man in need of grace and you know there's that golden rule that says treat others the way you want to be treated so for me it came from family you know my mom and dad were great and you know they if if they, they they didn't spare the rod. Like when it was time to correct, they corrected, but then it was over. And, you know, they, so there was that. And I would say really, it's just my faith is probably the biggest component of that is, look, I, you know, I need as much forgiveness and grace for on a daily basis as I can get. Amen. And so who am, who am I to say that I'm going to withhold it from somebody else? Even though it's emotionally very difficult at times, I have just found it's just I'm I suffer more than the person I'm angry at, right? It's just not worth it. It's just life's too short. Well, I mean that's that's a wonderful attitude that you've gotten there, and and I'm sure there was a lot of lessons that beat you over the head to get you there. Because I know that same thing with me, you know that yeah. that yeah. it was it, as I tell my sons because I have a ten and a twelve year old because I'm the face of them, that that it's like. I'm going to try to help you. I can't prevent you from making mistakes, but I can guarantee you if you've made a mistake, there's a chance I did it already. And I can give you my experience. Right. 100%. That's what I do with my kids. We've got four kids. Same thing. It's like, you know, I've lived a little and hopefully you can, you know, glean some of the lessons, but, you know, they'll, they'll have to find their own way as well. When did you, because you, you, I, I read that you started doing music at four, that that's when you got the bug? Yeah, yeah. So, well, my dad was a singer. I mean, he didn't really do it professionally just because back in, you know, he in his day, you did it on nights and weekends and he would sing kind of like Tony Bennett style music and sing in restaurants and clubs, et cetera. And so we always had music in the house and my mom wasn't really uh musical in a sense she didn't play an instrument but she just loved music so she always had the radio on and we had a little toy organ in the basement and i my parents told me i don't remember this but i was like three or four and i would listen to my little play school records and then i'd go bang out the, the melodies on the little organ and they thought well gee why don't we send send them for piano lessons and so i started maybe i probably was tinkering at three and four years old and i started lessons around five and, you know, you just go from there. It was like I never really can remember a time in my life where music wasn't a a major part. Like, we, you know, I was either playing piano or I was in a band or, I, you know, I had a little crazy stint of DJing like my friends' parties in junior high school. I mean, just anything musical I just have always loved. 
You didn't hate the lessons because that's, you know, most people, I took piano lessons, ended up hating them. I, I ended up doing a lot of music, but I ended up hating them piano lessons, and, and I regret that to this day. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was a typical kid. I, I wanted to go play baseball with my friends more so than I wanted to practice at times. And my parents really were great about just saying, sorry, you're going to practice. You'll get to do that later. And they would always say, one day you'll thank me. And boy, was that true. I mean, and I did many, many times while they were living, just how appreciative I was that they helped me when I was just lacking discipline as a kid. But yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, I studied from about five till 13 with this one private instructor. And he had said, okay, I think I've taught you everything I can teach you. You should probably go to a more advanced teacher. And I decided not to actually. And I just started playing like learning keyboard parts off of records, you know, whatever album I was listening to. And I always had a good ear. So I did that until college. And then I studied piano performance and music theory and arranging and such in college. So that was even more formal. But, you know, most of what I know, I would say I picked up just by messing around and doing it. See, you live my dream. You you do what I wish I could do. And, and I've, I've said this before. This is my fantasy. I wish, because you can go to any nice hotel in the United States and probably around the world. And what will you find in the lobby? A baby nice grand. Piano. A That's baby right. grand. And if you could step back and all of a sudden start, you could go, you could throw in Rhapsody in Blue. You could start there and go, wow, and have everybody go. Or you could just go straight to Boogie Woogie and let's get going. Or you can whip out your Billy Joel and rent. Every man, every man wants to be your friend and every woman wants to seduce you, at least in my mind. Right? <laughs> I'm just saying, and you're living that fantasy. Every time it, it would be the it would be the equivalent. You know, my wife's fantasy is that I come home wearing a tool belt and actually know how to use it. That's my <laughs> wife's fantasy. But my fantasy is I walk into the Fairmont or a Four Seasons or whatever, and I sit down and start banging out American in Paris. Bum, 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 bum. Yes. I'm all in. Or Malaguena. I'm all in. Right. You know, it's fun. It, it To me, it's like another language. And I just don't know how I would express certain things without it. Like my family is all Italian. And for whatever reason, even though my both of my parents spoke Italian, they didn't speak it in the house. So I don't know how to speak Italian, except for a few cuss words, which I don't use very often. But, you know, but you know, when my grandpa died, I remember a lot of the service at the church was in Italian. <clears throat> And they were reading some of this poetry that he had written as a young man. And my cousin leaned over to me and said, oh, I wish you understood the language because it's just so beautiful. And I said, well, translate it for me. And he goes, well, it's just not the same. And I always hated that. But I kind of equate that to music, too. It's like, yeah, I feel things and I want to express things and I can use words and I can be articulate and say it. But sometimes it's just easier for me to play it and you'll get it. And I won't have to say a word. And so for me, that's the really special part about music is that, like, if I'm producing an artist, I always tell them, listen, the way I'm going to record this and arrange your, your instruments and your track, and the reason I'm coaching you on your vocal a certain way is because I want people from another part of the world who don't even speak English, don't get the words, to feel what this song is about just through the music. Like, that's the goal. 
We can say that, but it's truly universal. I can listen to something sad in Japanese or German or Italian, you know, and and feel that emotion. Or I can hear something happy and, and feel that emotion. You know, I think there was a reason why American pop music swept the world, you know, because there was just that happiness to it that everybody bought in, whether they understood it or not. Right. Absolutely. What's it? Can I ask you, could you explain what a producer does? Because those are terms that, you know, whether it's on a movie or in in music, most of us have no idea what that means. Sure. So to differentiate between like a film and music. So when you see producer credit listed on a, on a movie, that's usually the money person that put up money and they may or may not be involved on any level except for funding. In the music world, it's kind of like having a general contractor to build your house, but he also ha- may happen to be the carpenter and the tile guy and the blueprint, you know, CAD designer, whatever. So for me, what happens is usually an artist will come to me, sometimes their manager, sometimes a label, but whoever's sort of in charge will come to me and say, I would like you to produce, you know, an album, a song, a single, whatever. And so I go through their material with them and I say, okay, let's listen to your songs. And I ask them a lot of questions about, you know, what genre and, you know, if you were on tour, who might you be on tour with? Just so I'm getting an idea of the sound they're after. And maybe we listen to some music examples. And then what I do is I put a team around them, depending on the genre of music, because I work across, you know, pop, country, some rock, some R&B. I put the right musicians for those songs, for that sound. I arrange the music. You know, I'm really in charge of all of the details of taking it from a thought and an idea all the way to the finished recording. And then I hand it to them or their label, and then they market it and, you know, it gets out hopefully to the world. See, I think that's fascinating, especially been there, you know, being doing this for as long as I've done it. I've heard so many stories about and we've heard it. I mean, there's sometimes you will hear the the demo of a song, right? Or how the yep. songwriter originally heard it. We do a lot of things out here. We do songwriters nights where we bring the songwriters in and they sing the songs and tell the stories behind the songs. And to hear the original version of how they heard it in their head and then the interpretation that came about through the star, the singer, and their producer is sometimes remarkable. I mean, just yeah. amazing. It's jaw-dropping sometimes. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I've been on both sides of that because when I first started, I was doing a lot of demos for publishers and hit songwriters and things like that. And then I've been on the record side of hearing the demos and stuff. And, you know, I often will say to an artist that I'm producing, like, don't get stuck on the demo. We're going to make it for you. It's sort of like, you know, that's just a for instance of how the song could go. But, you know, you could take any hit song and uh, well, think of some song that, you know, has been covered, you know, a hundred times by different people. Oh, that's Sam Cooke song. You send me oh, or the one. Yeah, just one of those, you know, and everybody's cut it or, or uh, and it's done different ways all the time, right? Well, it's sort of like, you know, you just don't take a, a suit off the rack and it's not going to fit everybody. You have to tailor it. And so, you know, sometimes the demo is pretty close and it's right. And you go, let's not reinvent the wheel. You know, let's just make it, let's work on execution and kind of flush out, flesh out the idea. And then other times it's like, man, that's just terrible. It's wrong for this artist. You know, 
uh, I'm looking for rock songs right now for this country artist, kind of rocking country. But I get demos that are very like, you know, middle of the road. They're not rock in any way, but I can push the band in that direction and make it fit the artist. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I try not to get too far away from what the the writer was thinking because there's a sentiment usually that's involved. But the other side of that coin is a lot of times, you know, writers aren't producers. Most of them aren't. So, you know, they're going to just do their best to get the idea across. I, you know, I, um, the quintessential example to me is there's a song, The Sound of a Million Dreams by David Nail. And it's, it was written by uh, Phil Vassar and Scotty Crusoe. And I was talking to them and they're like, no, no, you don't understand. We wrote it as a little up tempo duty. Sound of a million dreams. And then all of a sudden David Nail comes in and goes, no, no, that's not the way I say it. And Scotty Scooter was telling me, and he was right. We did not know he was right, that me and Phil, who wrote the song, had it wrong, and he had it right. And we didn't know until we heard it, you know, that it was a shock to us that, oh, my God, we wrote the song and we missed it. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's really amazing. I mean, they were. Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, it it really just takes. um, Well, how do I actually. If the writers had released it, it might have gone fine the way they were doing it, right? Because they're the ones telling the story. It's like, hey, you know, I've heard Jerry Seinfeld say, like, you know, in his shows, Comedians in Cars, he would would talk about a bit with another comedian. They go, oh, you know what? The way I would say that joke is this. And another guy would go, oh, you know what? I'd actually twist it around because the person delivering it needs to make it work for them and their and their skills, right? So, yeah, who was right? Whoever's delivering it, and it works. There you go. I love this. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break. Sal will vary. You can tell I'm salivating, and I'm trying to keep him as long as I can keep him because I, he's got he's so busy, but I'm just nerding out right now. We'll be right back after this break. So I want to tell you about our new sponsor, The Gym Guys. I have been working out with them for over a year now. It all started with a pandemic and there was no place to go. The gyms were closed, all that kind of stuff. I found The Gym Guys because they come to you. The commute is theirs. Isn't that one of the worst parts working out? Is You have to factor in the commute time. Not with The Gym Guys. And it's more motivating. It's one thing to say, I'm going to work out today. It's another thing if you know, like, I have Luciana coming over today at 11.15. I got to be ready for it. And then they change the workouts up for you. They give you an app so when you're working out on your own, you know how to do it right and what you're trying to do. And they also give you access to a nutritionist. It's all there for you. You can take it as, you know, if you're just starting your journey or maybe you want to take your journey to the next level. Maybe we've got a contest on how you can win 100 free sessions with your friends and coworkers. It's at TheBiggestMover.com. TheBiggestMover.com. But you'll find the gym guys on the web. G-Y-M-G-U-Y-Z. So, Sal, I want to ask you this question when it comes to, like, can I ask you, can I just get a complete nerd out? How hard is it to build a studio? How long does it take? I mean, because you have an amazing studio on your website. I was looking at it, and I'm like going, look at you, Sal. Look at you. Well, all right. So this studio was designed by, you know, this pro studio designer, Carl Tess. And this is maybe my, you know, sixth, fifth or sixth studio I've had in my career. So I started in my dad's basement, right? You know, with a, a couple keyboards and a little desk. And then, you know, it's like the second bedroom in the apartment. And then it's 
the converted garage. And, you know, I just sort of built up as I went along and as I could justify it. I mean, my career has grown. And so then I could, you know, justify a bigger space and a nicer space. I mean, you know, the building of the studio took a year, I would say, you know, to to kind of have it all done because it's multi-room. It's like, you know, I've got a kitchen and a theater room and a live room for recording and then a control room and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it, I, how long? 30 years. You know, there you go. <laughs> I just think that's fascinating because, I mean, in your world, man, you are you are top of the line. And and that it and it's just amazing. That's why I was so excited when I got a chance to talk to you. Because I'm like telling you, I know a lot of you may not know that, but he's one of those names that after you listen to this podcast to go look him up, you're going to sit back and go, "Wow, that guy!" And that's that's why I've been so excited to talk to him. Because what's it like as a piano player? What's it like to work with Billy Joel? When Billy Joel sits down to a piano and you're there, how's that feel? How's that work? Well, the funny thing about that is I I got a call from the guy who used to run Universal Publishing in L.A. And he said, hey, I signed this new writer. And, you know, I was wondering if you'd be willing to work with me on this development project. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, some unknown. And so after we talked a little while, I said, so by the way, who is this artist, a writer? And he goes, oh, it's Billy Joel. And I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, as the project went, I don't think it ever really saw the light of day uh, and they you know what's happening with it but without giving any details away you know i was to take uh a dozen of his classic songs and make them work for country kind of like you know just to work in our format with yeah, a lot did, of we know. did it about some of the years ago with the eagles right they did yeah. the, the eagles version of and did the country version of the eagles Right. Right. So it was like a tribute album to him with a bunch of prominent country artists. And so, you know, I'm working up these tracks and like, you know, before he gets to it and he wasn't even really he was saying he didn't really want to play on it. He just wanted to be honored on it and such. So I was like, well, I guess I'll play these parts in. And when he said that how much he liked everything and I was a nervous wreck because I grew up on the stranger and glass houses and you know, all those classic albums um, seen from an Italian restaurant. It's like, Oh my God, his parts are just brilliant. So when he said that he liked it, I was like, all right, I'm ready to retire. I'm done. <laughs> mic, drop, <laughs> mic drop, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh. So, you know, that's fun. I mean, that's the stuff that I never anticipated or counted on or expected not even look for. I just figured, you know, those are my heroes that I grew up listening to. My name will never be listed next to theirs, you know, but then some crazy things happen and you get, but, but here's the thing. I, I like to really encourage people because I'm just a kid from Jersey, you know, son of an immigrant from Sicily, started with nothing, had no big, you know, money dropped in my account and here go do whatever. I mean, we scrappled, man. You know, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts at 15 years old, mopping floors to, so I could have a little bit of spending money. And it doesn't take anything special other than bust your butt, work as hard as you can, don't give up, be diligent, you know, and, and be realistic about what your skill set is, you know, and head in a direction that's something you're passionate about that you can make a living doing and, 
you know, and like, I, you know, sometimes I pinch myself and I go, wow, if the 15 year old me knew some of this stuff, he'd flip out. See, I think you and I, we have that kin, that kinship because I grew up very desperately poor in the South. And if I could have gone back in a time machine and sit back and go, Hey, kid, let me tell you what your life's going to be like. I literally would not have believed you because I didn't think it was possible. You might as well have told me I was going to be living in a condominium on Mars. Right. <laughs> because it'd been like, yeah, sure. Right. Whatever. That's that's not even possible. But and I always try to encourage people because, you know, people people always want that shortcut, you know, mm. and 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 especially the younger generation tends to want that shortcut. And I've always tried to sit back and go, man, I showed up and volunteered and did everything I could. Anytime they would let me be on the air, anytime they let me do anything. I did. And I, I worked on farms. I worked at a tasty freeze. I wasn't, I wasn't skilled enough to work at a Duncan's. Right. So I'm just saying that maybe you got that yeah. above me, but it is, do they hear you? Do they hear you when you tell them that, that it's just going to be a lot of hard work and there's going to be a lot of rejection and, and, and what you're doing is every rejection is one more lesson you've learned to get to the yes. Mm. Some do, you know, and I hope I hope most of them do. I think they take it in. I mean, everybody wants the shortcut. You know, I probably wanted the shortcut. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I get a lot of great feedback. I make a lot of posts on social media to artists, to just trying to give them a framework and an understanding and hopefully some inspiration. But, you know, it, it, it's just it's not easy to accomplish anything. But I think we've just been conditioned through society to just have a real short view. And it's like, oh, my first single didn't do great. I'm done. It's like, oh my goodness, tell me some other business that you could start and immediately turn profit. Like you think you can open a restaurant and be in profit the first week? Like, you know, you might be a couple of years. Anything of value requires a period of investment and sacrifice if you're going to yield something later. So that's just how life works for most people. We always like to remind people, I think both Tim McGraw and Garth Brooks released four or five albums before they ever had a hit. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now, oh, and Billy, same thing. I think it was his third album before he actually broke, you know, and they, they buried those first couple records. But now, sadly, music, that's that doesn't really happen. Yeah, they won't let you do that anymore. Yeah. No, they they won't. If first single flops, you know, you may be done if it's a label. But I also work with a lot of independent artists and, you know, that that's a it's tougher and it's easier in some in different ways. But nonetheless, you know, your most people's success is dependent mostly on their work ethic, I think. You know, you work hard and again, not being um, you got to have self-awareness to know, like, you know, how to evaluate yourself and how to improve yourself. That That's really a big skill that I fear that sometimes people are just so they believe their own hype that they're they're not growing at the pace they could be if they were a little more honest with themselves. Can I throw some names out at you? Because I just want to get your I want to get your thumbnail sketching. It's Jaron Johnston of Cadillac Black, the funniest man of the of uh, Jaron Johnston of Cadillac Three. Is is that the funniest man? He's the funniest guy I've ever met. He, he <laughs> kills me. Oh, he's funny. He's funny. You know, it's funny. When I first met him, he was pretty quiet, and then I started seeing that side of him. I was like, this dude, nuts. And 
so ridiculously talented, great, man. Great, I mean, great. you know, he's in a band playing drums, and then he's a front guy. He's like the Dave Grohl kind of character, like, oh, he was just back there doing, like, killing it on the drums. And then, like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to pick up a guitar and sing, too. Watch this. He, my favorite, especially if we're doing live interviews, right? If we're, we're at a concert venue and if they're on the bill, it's like, no, no, no. I don't care who else. I don't need to talk to headliner. I need to talk to Cadillac three. I need yeah. Jared Johnson and the other two. I mean, I need these guys out here hanging with me right now. Cause I know yeah. I'm going to die laughing. It's going to be the best broadcast ever. Yeah. And, and he and I, I mean, you know, we text every once in a while. Cause sometimes I'm looking for songs. He's such a brilliant songwriter has had so many hits with different people. And we share, actually, I met him through another writer, Tom Douglas. You know, the three of us are big Springsteen fans. Anytime I find somebody who's a serious Springsteen fan, we automatically get along. Well, tell Jaron, do me a favor. Tell, tell, tell Jaron I'm your boy and he needs to come on my show. All righty, will do. <laughs> also, a couple of other things. You, uh, I, I saw in that, here's my thing. We have always been big Emily West fans around here, and we had such high hopes. We've had her out for shows, a number of things. She's so talented. How hard is it to find that song? How hard is it to find that song? Mm. Well, I agree with you. Emily is possibly the most fantastic female singer in Nashville. Can't say there's somebody better. I mean, there may be a few that are equal, but she's fantastic. Like, talk about emotion. She can communicate a an emotion and a lyric. No one can do it better than her. And we've made some great music together. She's fantastic. We're still friends. Finding the song, you know, boy, that's subjective because, you know, you kind of have to agree on the song. And I'm not speaking about my relationship with Emily. It's just with any artist, yeah. you know, like there have been times where I felt a song was perfect for an artist and occasionally they just don't share that opinion. And so, you know, they win because I'm not going to force somebody to sing a song they don't believe in. I mean, that's worked a few times. You know, I've, I've read Tony Bennett's I Left My Heart in San Francisco. He didn't want to do and his arranger, you know, said, come on, Tony, just, just to try it. You know, of course, it's this claim to fame song. But that happens occasionally. Most of the time, though, the artist has to be behind it. So it's increasingly more difficult because the more cooks in the kitchen that have to agree you know, it makes it a little harder, but you know, Hey, people do it every day. They find songs, you know, it is. Well, you sit back and you look and I mean, those names that I, and I, I just read them on your, your website, but it's, it's all these familiar names and it's, I, and, and I've told everybody it is so hard finding that, as you say, the perfect marriage of song and artist, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Dia Frampton, I've had her on the air with me. She's very talented girl. She's got such a unique way of bringing it. And we do have, and, and I want to see your take on it. We're thinking that there is a new tide coming in, especially in the world of Nashville and country music, which is my sweet spot, right? That mm -hmm. I think that more stylist when it comes to females are being allowed to be who they are, right? They don't have to have this perfect Crystal and Julie Andrews voice that they can have that quirky, bring it, you know, I mean, Mary Morris can sing her butt off, but she's still got that quirky little thing. You're starting to see yeah. these more artists that come in and just have that own unique way of, of approaching it and, and singing. And I, I think, I think there's a, you know, listen, we've always said Willie Nelson can't sing a note, but Man, can he, can he give you a song? 
he right. can give you a song. And you're starting to see that. I, mean, I just wanted to see your take on it because you're on the other side. Yeah, you know, things go in waves, right? Music goes in waves, trends. You could say the stock market goes up and down. I mean, just look at anything that, that can be subject to a trend and it will have one. And so here in Nashville, I remember just a few years ago, there was a lot of complaining going on, and rightfully so, that country radio was dominated by men. And like, like it just it seemed like a, a woman couldn't just break through for whatever reason. And um, not to point blame anywhere, it was just they were saying, "Man, why is why is it so much this and that?" I can tell you exactly why that is. But now, you, as you said, you're hearing all these women really, like you say, some quirkiness here, just something that's unique and different is being honored and validated, and it's great. And so, you know, it's like you've got, you know, there there was like a classic resurgence, and then there's going to be more pop influence stuff, and it's just. Right now, it seems like diversity is really being applauded and given place, and I think that's great. See, I, I'll give you my take on it from country radio side. And again, I worked at the largest locally owned radio station in the country up until recently, right? And what it means is, is we got to be so influential because we could play anything we wanted. We didn't have a corporate PD or anybody telling us who. That's why we had Emily West on. You know, that's why we had all these different people that who didn't, why we bring Cadillac 3 out anytime we can grab them. People who don't have a lot of a radio success, but, you know, that are just mesmerizing us and we truly believe in them. Uh, but I will say it's like, it's like baseball, football, basketball, right? It's where do the, where do the most talented kids go? You know, for a while, it used to be baseball, right? Every kid in the 50s and 60s played baseball. That was where the talented kids went. And then it started going to football because they would see football on TV. And then now I think most of our really talented kids go to basketball because they see LeBron and like that. And I think the same thing with music. I think there was a time there where the really talented girls were going to pop music. Right. You know, that, that was, that was where the things were and the real talented guys were gravitating to country or interesting. Maybe I use the better term interesting. And, and, and they, so it became a now, I think, I think country music has gotten some cachet because if you want to sing and if you want to tell a story, you're going to find more more, what is the word? Tolerance. You know the way they used the word tolerance? They're going to be more open to anything you want to do now. I love the fact that there are so many sounds from country music now. I love it. I, I, you will never hear me go. I'm not one of those guys who goes, well, that ain't country. You know, it's stuck at 60, 70, 80. I am so not that guy. And if you talk that way to me, I am done with you. I'll (laughs) smile at you and go, yeah, Lester, whatever, whatever. But I love the fact that it continues to change. That's why our top touring acts in country music aren't 80-year-old men like it is in rock and roll. It's literally 70 to 80 years. Mick Jagger is 78 years old. Y'all, wow. think about that. Roger Daltrey is, I think, almost 80. Pete Townsend may be 80, right? Wow. So, I mean, th- and these guys are still top five touring acts because because they won't let you change. Where country music, you're getting all these different blends of sounds and stuff. And it's it's getting really intriguing. And then you get these girls. We literally just had a girl last night at one of our shows.
Williams. I don't know if you heard of Cassie Ashton. I'm telling you, you're gonna be a star. Mm-hmm. She's wow. She's very interesting and she's mesmerizing. Just mm. mesmerizing. And I just find it interesting on that side when you're when you're looking at trying to find that song. And she's she's in the process of trying to find it. But mm. it's it's fascinating to me. I, I do have to ask you as a producer, you produced that pink Chris Stapleton song, mm-hmm. which is stunning. Okay. Thank you. How do you combine those two voices? How do you sit back and go, this is where we're going and this is how we're going to make it. And how do you make them both equally represented? Because, because it's like having two Ferraris. I want to drive both of them, but there's only one steering wheel. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) that's a great question and it's a complex solution, but it's really simple in another way. So, you know, if you consider that the listener, you, you want to get the listener's attention. And as a producer, I'm looking at the song. What does the song say? What is this artist? You know, is their ability? Are they, you know, going to fill up the screen, so to speak, you know, or are they a little bit more of a smaller character in this thing? You know, so, so there's a lot of delicate balances and pink is just stunning as a singer, right? Like, I, I mean, she's, phenomenal her work tape with you know like her demo basically like her work tape vocal on a little bitty mic here in nashville was like could have been the one like it was just so good right chris is the same way chris you hear him sing and you go everybody else shut up i just want to hear him you know what i mean right so so now what what would a wise person do in that situation would i try and compete or would i just try and shine a little spotlight on them Right. Well, I took this, the latter. I sat with Pink's vocal it, it, at the beginning. It was just her singing all the way through. So I basically took her vocal and then everybody's gone. It's just me. And I'm sitting in my studio at the piano going, I need to just build a little support piano part for her. Nothing that's going to make you go, wow, listen to that guy playing a bit because then that would be distracting from her i'm really trying to make everybody say listen to what she's saying her words are so great so really it was more about the emotion finding this little you know moving piano part that would stir the emotion so that you would hear what she's saying and be locked in right so and then you know i kept the arrangement pretty simple really it's just piano bass i played bass piano and then i had you know, for for like the mock-up, I programmed some string, a string arrangement. And then Pink really wanted to, she, I guess it was her idea to add Chris, because it wasn't a duet to begin with. It was just her, and it was brilliant, just her. But again, the philosophy is the same thing. It's just stay out of the way, right? My job is not to say, check me out. Like, man, if, if, if you know, if I worked if, if, if who, who painted the Mona Lisa? Was it Michelangelo. Michelangelo. Oh, Michelangelo. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if, if you're like building the frame for that, you're not putting LED lights all over it and saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, right? You're trying to sit, or like take your family portrait, you and your wife and your two boys, go take a, a photo, you bring it to the frame shop. You're looking for things that just highlight and accentuate the, you guys, right? That's the producer's role is build a framework that lets them shine and the song speak done, right? So that's harder. It's harder to do than, a, than, a, than to say it, but you have to resist ego and say, 
you know, it's not about my skills. It's not, I, I'm here to serve. Really, the producer role, if you boil it down, it's, it's a service industry job. I support artists and I support songs, period. That's one of the most brilliant answers I've ever heard. Yeah, that that, oh, that was. You. That was great. Of course, not knowing Michelangelo makes you the worst Italian ever. You realize that. Right? <laughs> no, I got it confused with Da Vinci. I was like, shoot, which one is it? Yeah, your your ancestors are like, oh. They're rolling over right now. <laughs> exactly right. Was, <laughs> when it comes to that arrangement, because again, I will nerd out with you as long as as long as you'll let me. When it comes to the arrangements like with her pink, did was it was it just in the song or did you go, no, you need to hit this note and sustain? it right was oh, that's it, all her no that's all her. all her that's her the way the way they sing is the way they sing so really i would say my biggest contribution there because you know listed i'm one of three producers listed so yeah. you know pink's one and, and there's another fellow on there who mixed out so my contribution i i was first and i was like i set the tone for the song you know like i explained earlier and no one was over my shoulder. I just sat here with the vocal and, and I muted everything like, you know, and I just started with that piano and then I just started building it up and I fleshed it out. And then Pink's manager was like, hey, we want to work on a little bit. And so, you know, the files kind of went back and forth. And, and you know, it, it, it's just that's how she sings. I mean, it's really what you hear on the album is not much different than her and Tom Douglas and Alan Chamlin just finished writing the song here in Nashville. And let's just do a quick demo of it. it it's pretty much the same thing. You know, I, you've worked, if I had, and I made this list before, we did it a couple of weeks ago where we do a top five and I'm like the top five male vocalists in Nashville working today, mm -hmm. in my opinion, right? Yeah. I put, I put Stapleton, Stapleton, probably number one, but I think I had him at number two. I had David Nail at number three and at number one, by number, number four, I had Lee Bryce. And you've worked oh, with a lot wow. of these guys because Lee Bryce's Lee Bryce's voice is so flipping oh. underrated. So oh, underrated. he's amazing, powerful, powerful. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking just country, I mean, I would throw Charles Kelly in there as well. If we're talking any genre in Nashville, I would throw in Danny Gokey, who I worked with a couple times the last couple of years. He's a gospel singer. Like well, a we CCM had Danny singer. Gokey out when he was trying to be country. We had him out yeah. at a concert. Yeah, but you know who I had number one. Who? Randy Hauser for the win, baby. Oh, man. Yeah, you got good taste. <laughs> Randy Randy Hauser's voice, and I've sit back and said this before, there are very few people that I stop and listen to the sound check, right? Mm. And Randy Hauser and David Nail, and, and I've never had a chance to listen to a Stapleton sound check, but Lee Bryce, I have stopped what I was doing. And just as you said a while ago about Stapleton, y'all shut up. I'm trying to hear something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's that thing we talked about earlier in the conversation is, you know, we could describe, well, what is it? You know, but it's like the whole person. It's, it's like every experience that he's lived comes out in his singing. I would say Emily West is that same way. All the greats, you just go, you know, not to wear out the Springsteen thing, but you know, he grew up, 20 minutes from where I grew up in New Jersey, blue collar town, factory town, you know, how am I ever going to get out of here? That's the character he still sings from. It's like, I use that as an example with people because it's like, listen, 
you have to be so in tune with your character. And it's not that it's like a phony character, but it's, you may have moved on. Like Bruce Springsteen's not a blue collar guy anymore. He's richer than rich, but he still sings for the common man. Like he, he found like, that's my heritage. That's my roots. That's what is burned into my soul. Right. And so Lee Bryce, same thing. It's like these guys, they just found a way to take all of the pain and the joy and everything and channel it through their voice. And man, it just, it, it just gives you chills. It's amazing that they can do these things. Well, I love the fact that you work with my kids, Haley and Michael. And yes, I oh, call yeah. them my kids because, because you know who discovered them? Who's that? You're talking to him right here. Wow. They were, they were performing at a New Year's Eve party at a friend of mine's house, right? So I'll tell yep. you the story. So, and they'll tell you, by the way, we, they've had it on. I've had them on the podcast. So I had had the flu for a week. This is back in, you know, a long time ago. And I was so sick. And I told my wife, I'm like, there's no way I'd be able to make it to this party. I am so sick. And literally on the day of, I took a nap and I woke up at like three o'clock and I told my wife, I'm like, I feel great. I feel great. Let's go. Let's go. So I went and my friend said, listen, we got these kids singing and they had this mansion. Let's be clear. We've got them downstairs in the basement. They had a full size Irish bar in their basement. And they said, we're going to get, go to the basement because we want you to hear these kids singing. And you know, you're just like me. You, you have people all the time wanting you to hear somebody sing, right? Right. Right. And, and the truth of it is 94 point percent of the time it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Yeah. And I went down there and I'm listening to these kids saying, and I'm like, okay, well, that's not bad. And then, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> well, damn, that's, that's real good. And, and so, you know, I met him and said hello and stuff like that. And, and then I went and told my boss the next week when I went back to work, I'm like, you know, I saw these kids sing at this party and they're really good. And they're local kids and their name are Haley and Michaels. And she looks at me and she goes, I, I got a CD from them right here. That's how old it was. And, wow. and I'm like, well, listen to it. And she listened to it and she's like, well, damn. And then she went and told her boss and that's where it started rolling. So wow. I'm just saying what I saw. Man, nice find. I'll tell you, you got, you got ears, my friend. They're great. <laughs> it's the only one I ever pick, right? Cause most of the time I pick people, they make fun of me here at work because I couldn't pick a hit if it hit me in the face, right? <laughs> I, I literally thought Alan Jackson's Chattahoochee was going to destroy his career. That's how, that's how oh, good I am. Wow. Yeah. Well, everybody misses them. I mean, I've talked to some high ups and I've asked them that exact question. Like, have you ever missed it? And they go, Oh yeah. And they tell you these funny stories of like, you know, Academy Award winning songs that they missed. But but going back to Haley and Michaels, the guy that hooked me up with the Billy Joel project, his name is Lance Freed. He's I think he's semi retired now, big publisher. He was the one that first told me, Hey, I I think it was when I was working on that Billy Joel project. He said, You know, there's this duo I want you to meet, maybe, you know, just to see if you want to work on a few things with them and that was our introduction. And then uh, another fellow I mentioned earlier, Tom Douglas, who's quite a hit songwriter, mm-hmm. wrote The House That Built Me with Alan Shamblin. Oh, yeah, I know many, Tom Douglas. Many, many years. Absolutely okay, know yeah. Tom Douglas. He's one of my oldest friends here in Nashville. And anyway, we've done a lot together through the years earlier in my career. And he had written a song with them. And they had said, you know, who do you think would be good to produce this? And he recommended me. And so anyway, we did some work. And, and I got to say, you know, what people don't, get to hear a lot of times and may find interesting is just, you know, 
when when the doors are closed, you know, what are they really like? And those two people are salt of the earth. They are so kind and gracious, and they were fun to work with. We took a trip to New York because one of their songs, it was called Me Too, that we yeah. had done together. Great point. Um, yeah, we, we had to go to New York because they wanted to get a voiceover from a woman who was part of this movement and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, just when people, I don't mean they rolled out the red carpet like, oh, they, it was a nice steak. I don't mean that. But I just mean the kindness and the consideration that they showed me the whole time we were working together. They're just good people. And they just happen to be very, very talented as well. Well, that's what I've always loved about those kids, because they are. They are just the same kids that I met all those years ago at that party. They are still that, and they love each other, and it's just fun to see people who are in love. And I remember I was in Nashville for something one time, and I had a drink with them. And it was when, you know, they're going through the toil trying to figure out how, what, where. And I'm like, and I I sit back and told them, I said, this is where you find out whether you really want to be in this business or you just think you do. Mm -hmm. Right? That's right. And and it's right. everybody has to walk through that fire. I mean, it's rare that you're going to be Carrie Underwood. Here's American Idol. Boom, there you go. And right. even then, her fire came after, where she had to totally learn how to do a show. So everybody got to go through that fire at some point. Well, that's true, and that's part of evolving. And you know, the music business is it, it looks one way from the outside, and then you get here, let's say to Nashville or LA or just whatever music town you happen to be in, and maybe the first two years it, it appears like you've got a handle on it, but it's not really until you get much deeper in where you start to see how things work. And I don't only mean from you know like who's pulling the strings and some of the political things that are just unfortunately just part of it. But also, you know, what efforts you put forth, like which ones actually are going to help you advance and which ones are maybe not the best use of your time. That just that just takes time, you know, um, but you're right. It, it all includes some fire because you have to be able to say, well, that flopped. What, what can I learn from that? And how can I make it better next time? Yeah, because listen, we don't know what's a hit anymore. You you hope you don't know what's going to be a hit, but the truth of it is you don't, even when they do it. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. I, Walker Hayes is a friend of mine. And I remember when the when the, you know, fancy like hit, he's like, dude, if you would have asked me any song on this album that was going to be nothing and we almost threw it off, it was that song. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's what made me feel great. I didn't write the song, but just to be a part of it, that that pink loved me anyway. So they had a single out that was doing fine, I guess. I don't know how well it did. And uh, she released the album just shortly after. And on iTunes, the Love Me Anyway shot up to the top song. Uh, worldwide. And, you know, it wasn't a single or anything. And it was like the people's choice. And I don't know for certain, but I have to believe that that was the reason they made it the second single, because you typically don't push a ballad, you know, especially not second. And she had some great songs on the album. It's not like there were any lemons. But, you know, when the people speak, you just go with it. Right. And it was like, you know, I remember calling Alan Chamblin, one of the writers who he and Tom wrote that with her, and I was like, well, congratulations. And he's like, congratulations back to you. And I was like, wow, that's a nice feeling. I have enjoyed this hour so much. 
And I, I not scratched the surface with you, Sal. I, I would hope I can talk you into doing this again. Anytime. I love doing this with you, Gary. This has been such, I have been geeking out and I, it, I think you could probably tell how, how, how much I've just been nerding, nerding hard with you. Well, it's, it, I love talking shop. It's fun. You are an incredibly wonderful host. You're fun to talk to. You've got my number anytime. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time. Thank you.